Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Man, these guys are getting better and better. It's a lot of competition to be up here now. Uh, hey, if, you, uh, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I serve the church here as the lead pastor, and I just want to welcome you and welcome all of our hometown Sunridgers who went out into the freezing cold weather that we have today and uh, to be together. Um, I also want to say, you know, AJ mentioned a group of guys that play basketball here. Uh, that has been like by far one of our greatest outreaches. Who would have thought that you could play basketball and uh, meet people and invite them to church? But I appreciate all the guys that are a part of that. I personally don't play basketball. I've tried a few times, but not having any actual real athletic talent as I've told you before, I had a lot of anger, and that, that gave me a full ride in college to play football, but um, basketball, they don't appreciate me just running into them and tackling them, so <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to ask you guys a question when we get started today. What, what do you think are some of the biggest fears human beings have? Um, because I wanted to know, and because I knew you would want to know, I went to the most reliable and authoritative source on these things that are available. I went to Google. And according to Google, here are some of the things that we fear most. Maybe raise your hand if this one is one of your fears. Spiders, snakes, dentists, sorry dentists, rats, the dark, the ocean, because of sharks, heights, anybody afraid of heights? How about enclosed spaces? Okay, some of you have a lot of fears, it looks like. <laughs> so, what is your greatest fear? Maybe it was one of these, maybe I didn't mention it. Turn to the person on your right and tell them one of your fears right now. Did anybody, your greatest fear is that Britt's going to talk too long today? Okay. Now, I left one out from... Um, from my list that actually makes all the lists, and often it's in the top five, at least, of those lists. Do you know what it is? It's failure. Failure, that's right. We fear failure. How many of you would have said fear of failure would be at least in your top five? Okay. Now, of those of you who fear failure, how many of you would say that even though you feel your failure, you fear your failures that you've actually learned from them. Okay. And how many of you would say, I would much rather not learn by my failures? <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, we can't avoid failure, right? Especially if we're ever trying to do anything at all in life. But I want to give you good news today. Failure is not the end. It is the re-beginning. And this is our big idea for today. God uses our failures to teach us what only failure can teach us. Isn't that true? Because success is not a good teacher, is it? 
We, we love the limelight, and we love success, and we love accolades, but mostly we don't learn there. And failure is often the pathway to some of our greatest learning experiences. And since it's a lot more fun to learn from other people's failures, we're going to learn from someone today. His name is Moses, and that's who we're studying. We're three weeks in. If you have not been a part of you know, our study of Moses, I encourage you to go back. Last week, Jed, Jed kind of introduced us to his birth, where 3,500 years ago, the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt, and Pharaoh, in fear of, and threatened by these people that were uh, prolific, even under the oppression that, that he had put them under, um, commanded that all Hebrew baby boys be thrown into the Nile to be discarded. They weren't even human beings to him. But Pharaoh's daughter discovers one of these babies in the Nile, and his real mom, Moses' real mom, becomes his nurse and nanny. Now, don't you love God's coincidences? I do. And this daughter of Pharaoh adopts that baby as her own. In fact, Stephen, in Acts 7, says that he brought her up she brought him up as her, as her own son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. You know, the historian Josephus says that Pharaoh had no son or heir, this Pharaoh. So it's possible that Moses was even being groomed to take the throne as a Hebrew. And in Stephen's speech in Acts 7, he recounts Moses' life, and he says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. As a boy reared in Egypt with a silver spoon in his mouth, Moses would have attended the Temple of the Sun, which was the university that was reserved at that period for the brightest and the most privileged. And archaeologists and historians have discovered that someone studying at the Temple of the Sun would learn the sciences, medicine, astronomy, chemistry, theology of their gods, philosophy, and law. He would have been enrolled in the Egyptian equivalent of ROTC, studying the battles that they, how to do battle and combat tactics. He would have been trained as a warrior in martial arts and battleground fighting. And on top of that, he would dabble in all the arts, sculpture, music, and painting. And Moses excelled in, again, in Acts 7, Stephen says that Moses was powerful in speech and action. In fact, in history, uh, there's a note that Moses led the Egyptian army sometime in this period to a great victory over invaders in Egypt. So Moses, in his context, is a hero. He's a military leader. He's intelligent and highly educated. He's bronzed by the sun. He is Brad Pitt in Troy. So later, when he claims to be, claims to God, and we're going to get there, that he's the wrong guy to negotiate for the Israelites with Pharaoh because he can't speak well, well, that's either in his insecurity coming out or baloney. He's trying to get out of it. What I'm trying to do here, what I'm going to great lengths to show you, is that Moses has everything going for him. He has his education. He has a physical presence. He's creative and artsy. He's privileged, and a remarkable future awaits him. And in Exodus 2, 11, 
as uh, A.J. read, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, notice this, one of his own people. So Moses, at this period, he's around 40, he's in his prime, and he has somehow gotten it in his head that these are his people, the Hebrew people, even though he's raised in the palace of Pharaoh. So it's pretty clear that God is doing something already in his heart and that he's never lost his identity. All the secular education in the world that he would have been under, all the different gods that he would have studied, has not erased what probably his mother instilled in him. So if you're a young parent right now, if you have young kids at home, I just want you to think about the tremendous influence you have over your children right now. And it's an opportunity if you invest in them. Now, when did Moses feel the call to lead the Israelites out from slavery? Some say Moses first felt it um, at the burning bush, which we're going to talk about next Sunday. But it seems like from, from this context, or this text, that it's much earlier than that. I mean, why in the world would he want to leave his palace to go and see his own people? And why would he identify with the Hebrew man being beaten by the Egyptian guard? And certainly, why would he even go to the defense of this person? Well, you know, you know what Moses did in that moment of indignant wrath, right? He kills this Egyptian guard. Remember, he's trained in warfare. So this bully Egyptian has no chance against him. I picture Moses actually taking the club from that Egyptian guard and beating him with it, with his own club. Now, I'm not saying it was right, but I understand. But it wasn't right, right? It was murder. And there's no debate here. Moses knows that this is wrong. In verse 12, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. And he hid him in the sand. He hides the body in the sand, which, by the way, sand is not a good place to hide a body, right? And so what Moses hopes becomes, it stays a secret, it doesn't remain a secret. If you have to hide something, it's probably wrong, right? And if you, if you hide it and you think no one will find out, you're probably wrong about that too. And, it, um, and of course, regardless of how, who he is or how important Moses is, to this day and time, he realizes that there's going to be consequences for this action. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. Why? Why would Pharaoh want to kill Moses for this murder? Well, remember, Pharaoh's threatened by the Hebrew people. And this action shows him that this person who's very powerful, has relationships in the palace, is skilled to lead an army, is making a choice, and he's showing his loyalty to the Hebrew people. 
So if you're Moses, what do you do when you make a huge blunder and everyone knows it and you're afraid of what might happen to you because of it? Well, Exodus 2 says that Moses fled. He fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Do you realize what a fast transition that was? Moses goes from the large, bustling cities of Egypt to sitting by a well in Midian. He goes from the palace to sitting on a rock somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And it's here that Moses pens these words. I've been through the desert on a horse with no name. <laughs> it felt good to be out of the rain. And the desert, you can't remember your name because there ain't no one for to give you no pain. And everybody's saying, la, 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 right? Okay. I'm just checking to make sure you're with me here. Have you ever had your whole world just turned upside down all at once? While Moses is sitting there, seven sisters come to draw water from the well that he's sitting next to. So you could say Moses meets some girls at the local watering hole. <laughs> Only it's literal, right? And then while this is happening, some shepherds arrive. And uh, in this patriarchal, misogynistic society, they bully these women and they drive them away from the well and Moses comes to their rescue. And remember, he's Brad Pitt in Troy. So he takes care of business. He breaks out some Egyptian kung fu on them and the girls get their water with Moses' assistance, and they head home. And their father, Ruel, wonders how they got home so quickly, because usually they have to wait and take their turn and let everybody else move on until they get the water. And they tell him about Moses. In verse 19, they, they said, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So even though Moses is a Hebrew, he looks Egyptian to people. He probably fled with the clothes on his back, and he looks Egyptian. And as a father of all three daughters, of all daughters, you have to love um, Ruel's response, right? In verse 20, he says, where is this guy? He asks his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. In other words, this is the kind of guy I want you to bring home. And I, I have three daughters. They're all have their own families and they're grown. And, I can t and they can tell you that they would date boys and I would like them more than they liked them. And I would like, why don't you keep dating that guy? Why did you break up with him? I like him. And they, but dad, that's not the point. I have to like him. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. I have to like him. And we would go back and forth. By the way, all of my son-in-laws are fantastic. I like them all. In the beginning, I was very afraid of them. I had big concerns, which I brought up, but I am, I'm a blessed man with the guys uh, that my daughters brought home and kept home. Uh, so Moses, while he's in Midian here, he makes a life for himself. He marries one of the daughters, Zipporah. We're going to see more of her as we go on. And they have a son, Gershom, which means stranger in the land, which is, if you were Moses and a dad, that's probably what you'd name your first son. And at this point, Moses probably thinks that God has totally forgotten him. And we're going to see that he hasn't, though. 
But he has put him in a timeout. And he's got some learning to do. And it's going to be from this failure. Now, this is a great place to, you know, as I do, put a caboose on the train and close out this episode. And you might be saying, you know, Britt, this is really great. It's all, it's, it's great to get a history lesson about Moses and murder and Midian. But I didn't come to church for a history lesson. What does this have to do with me in the Temecula Valley in 2023? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes. You know, at Sunridge, if you're new here, we, we're, we're very intentional about teaching the Bible in its context and making it comprehensible, but also we always want to roll it forward and say, okay, so what? So what for us? And that's what we're going to do right now. And I want you to see that God's response to failure is not to punish us, but to teach us. In November, I went to Miami, Florida, which is where I grew up with one of my son-in-laws, Donovan, to see the Hurricanes play their in-state rivalry, Florida State University. And uh, here's a picture of us on the campus, the U. Anybody U fans? Let me hear from you. Okay, forget you guys. <laughs> you will be. That was, uh, that was a hard game to watch if you're a college football fan. Um, there was a lot of, ah, right next to us, and that was painful. <laughs> God sent Moses to the U of M. It wasn't the University of Miami, though, and it wasn't the University of Michigan. No, he sent him to the University of Midian. And it has a lovely campus. Let me show it to you. Here's another picture. <laughs> you ever been to this university? Anybody recognize it? It's the Sinai Peninsula. It's 23,000 square miles of barrenness, hot, arid sand, rocks, and gravel with an occasional scraggly bush somehow clinging to life. Often when we fail, God sends us to the University of Midian. And you're going to see that Moses is an alumni the life of Moses, uh, this is one of the quotes uh, that I got from one of the commentaries I read. Um, his life can be divided into three 40-year segments. The first 40 years he spent in Egypt being taught in Egyptian schools. And then the second 40 years he spent in the desert being taught by obscurity and by God. And that's where he is now. And then he's going to spend his last 40 years with the Hebrew people in the wilderness, instructed by the law that God gives him, which he receives from God's own hand. Now, some things you'll want to know about the University of Midian in case you happen to attend there sometime in your life. A lot of people attend the University of Midian, but almost no one applies to go there. Isn't that interesting? When we're considering where we're going to get our Disciple of Jesus degree, the University of Midian is rarely at the top of anyone's list because we don't think we need to go there. We think someone else may need to go there, like our husband or our wife, or our kids may need to attend there for a while, or some of our friends might need it. But here's what happens. God fills out your application for you, and he turns it in. And he registers you for all your courses, like your coach when you play ball in college. 
when I was in college way back in the day of leather helmets, it was just a little after that, um, I had to either go to my coach and get him to approve my classes or they actually told me what classes I was going to take. And when, when you're there, when God signs you up for these classes, you can't skip class. And you have to do all the assignments. And those you don't pass, you have to repeat them. And I found that you even have to retake some classes even though you thought you did really well in them. See, Moses is already highly educated, but this is where he's going to learn some of his most important lessons. And he's going to do graduate work here because he's going to be enrolled for 40 years. If Moses were here with us right now, he would probably tell us that this is one of the least enjoyable experiences of his life, but the most valuable. I think he would echo what the writer of Hebrews said in 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So if you're in school there, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Show up. If you know the rest of Moses' story, then you can see why he needs to learn these things before he steps into the next part of his life. The University of Midian is a tough school. It's not an elective at MSJC. Have you guys watched Last Chance U before? Anybody watch that show? I, okay, I'm the only one again. All right. Seems like I lead a very weird life, I think. <laughs> Last Chance U is on Netflix. It's, it's a program about football players and, um, and, and basketball who were in D1 schools like Alabama, Florida State, you know, big-time schools, and they made big mistakes. They either flunked out, they got arrested, something happened, and so they're bumped down to these um, junior colleges, the JUCO, uh, where they're trying to get their mojo back. They've got to earn their respect They've got to get their grades up. They've got to stay out of trouble while they're there. And uh, it's both a fascinating show. It has a lot of bad words in it, like stupid and things like that. Uh, so I just want to warn you, it's not a recommendation, but it's really a fascinating picture of human beings who, who have so much talent. And they're in this place where it's their opportunity to get back to their dream. And it's most of them don't learn the lessons while they're there. And it's the only way they can get back to D1 football. The University of Midian can be like that. It's not last chance you, but it is another chance you. There's some coursework that's available at the University of Midian, and I just want to po point out four of them. There's a class in adaptability. You ever been driving, you know, like in some remote area, like on 99, and you're kind of up there in the Central Valley or wherever it is, and you just think, man, people live here. You know, no offense if you're from the Central Valley. It's just like, it could be in any state, but you just like, it's really weird. It's like a blip, one exit town. It doesn't seem to be like there's anything there. And when, when Cindy and I are traveling, 
we'll be driving along and I'll just say, you know, honey, if we lived here, we'd be home now. And uh, we, just, we, we talk about like, what would it be like to live here? It's a little remote town. That's Midian. And Midian, when God puts us there, we learn to make a life, uh, a life in a less than ideal situation. We learn to make the, the best of things. We learn to adapt. You know that Moses had to hear news while he was there in Midian about what was happening in Egypt as people traveled through. And Moses, even though he's trained to be a leader, and he's willing to spend time in obscurity. He makes a life in Midian. And Moses learns to rely on God in ways that he could never have done in the palace. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Does that resonate with you? You know, most of the time when we're kind of in that place, all we can do is pine away after the next thing. We just want to get out of the penalty box. It feels like that. We, we mourn things that we don't have anymore. We're mourning things that have happened to us that we didn't plan, and we long for the more brighter days. That's totally normal. But if we can't adapt to where God has us in this moment, it can lead us to become bitter and grumpy and negative, to be anxious, chronically unhappy, even depressed. So if you are currently enrolled in this class at the University of Midian, I want you to try to do well in this course because it's going to prepare you for the things that are coming in your life that you don't see coming. It's going to help you learn adaptability even though you're not where you want to be right now, even though you're going through a divorce and you're waiting for something to change, even though you're in the middle of something that you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Maybe things have changed at your place of work or in your home or you got a new boss or a new job or there's new people and it's just like your world is turned upside down. God teaches us adaptability in that moment. And Moses is certainly going to need that, isn't he? And the life that he is headed toward. So take all the time necessary to do well in this course and learn contentment. Become adaptable. The second course that I think uh, you can enroll in or God will enroll you in when you're in Midian and, and Moses is in this class is obedience. Obedience, and you don't have to murder someone in order for God to require some coursework here. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but isn't it true that often we learn obedience to God through our choices of disobedience? It's like we say, I don't ever want to go through that again. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 119 was well acquainted with how God will bring lessons in our lives that lead us to become obedient. In 119.67, the psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, 
but now I obey your word. You see what this psalmist is saying there? He's saying that affliction came because I went astray. And because I went through that, I learned obedience. He goes on in verse 7, he says, It was good for me, therefore, to be afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. It's like the psalmist is reflecting on the consequences or just the reality of his life in that moment and saying, that caused me to learn something, to be more open to and more committed to being obedient to your leading in my life. Can you relate? I wrote down a few examples. Maybe, maybe you want to get married. You're not married, but you want to get married. And you believe that that's something that God wants for you. You definitely don't have the gift of celibacy. And you're lonely. And your biological clock is ticking away. But you don't see any prospects. So you're like, God, you're not getting this done. So I'm going to have to make some moves that I thought you were going to handle, God. But I'm going to like... Right now, it just seems like you're MIA, so I'm going uh, to take some action here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to expand my field of operation. And uh, I always wanted to be in a matched Christian marriage, but I'm going to trust you to convert someone after we're married. And this is, this is something we're going to tag team together, God. See, this is going to be a missionary venture with you and me, Lord, and it's going to be great. And then it wasn't. And now maybe God is teaching you obedience in that area. Or maybe some of you are like, I really need a great vacation. I don't have the money, but I've been working really, really hard. And God, you know that my family really deserves this. I'm thinking maybe an island trip. Uh, Kauai, to be specific, Lord, because it has less nightlife. And then that'll give me more time for prayer and Bible study. And Lord, we're going to do it on the cheap because we'll buy everything we need at Costco in Lahui. I don't know why I know so much about this. <laughs> now, Lord, I know that Dave Ramsey teaches in FPU that you should never use your credit card unless you can pay it off each month to not get in debt. I know that that's the wisest thing to do, but Lord, I'm going to trust you that you will help me pay it off when I get back. And I'm definitely going to need your help with that, Lord. So uh, during that period when I'm paying it off, I'm just going to stop giving to my church and the ministries that I really care about. So it's like we're doing it together, God. And uh, don't forget, we'll get the miles too, Lord. And now you're paying that off and you're like, wow, I'm never going to do that again. I think I'm going to follow God. Or maybe, maybe you're an adult that your parents don't understand. I mean, you're 17, and they're saying you have to follow, they're saying you have to follow their rules, and they're in your business all the time. They don't like your friends. They especially don't like your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you have to get a part-time job, and you have to do your homework. Unbelievable. <laughs> they don't understand. They do not understand that you're independent now. Now, I know you live in their house, and they pay for your car, and they pay your insurance. In fact, they pay for everything, and mom even gave you the 20 bucks to take your boyfriend or girlfriend out for ice cream. 
uh, last night, but you're independent. <laughs> Hope I'm still going to be your pastor after this. So, you know, at that point in your life, you, you have to fight for your right to party. <laughs> now, you say, I know that the Bible says to honor your parents and to obey them, but that's too much because God did not know who your parents were going to be <laughs> when he had Paul write that, so you have a right to sneak around, and now you're learning to follow his words like in Proverbs 21, 3, he says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. I know I'm being kind of facetious here. I don't mean to offend you, but these are just things I think up when I'm writing my messages. God isn't mean when he's teaching us obedience. You can follow his ways or not. He's just trying to teach you that it's much better to do it that way. So if you're in this course of obedience, I want to encourage you to do well, to really knuckle down and learn this one because it's going to pay off. Another course is one, and it's called humility. Humility. Now, humility doesn't mean um, lacking confidence or you're never allowed to have an opinion or go against what someone else says. It doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. In fact, I love what C.S. Lewis says about humility. Humility is not thinking less about ourselves, but thinking about ourselves less. I love that. And God definitely signed Moses up for the humility course while he was at the U of M because he went from the palace to the desert, from being revered and known everywhere he went to a virtual nobody. Now, I love what D.L. Moody said about this, about this time in Moses' life. He said that Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Don't you love that? Wish I wrote that. You know, it would have been almost impossible if you were Moses to be humble at that part of his life. I mean, he's, and when he's in Egypt, how could he ever learn humility in that position? So God had to take him to the University of Midian so he could be in that class. You know how I know Moses learned this lesson in humility? Because 40 years later at the burning bush, when God said, you're the man to deliver the people out of Egypt, Moses responded in effect, you got to be kidding me, Lord. Not me. You got the wrong guy, wrong address. You probably meant to appear in a different bush to another, to a different guy. Remember me? I'm the failure. I'm the washout. 40 years ago, I couldn't pull it off. And I surely can't do it now. But, but, but Moses emerged from Midian with a confidence in God rather than himself and had a willingness to learn. And that's humility. If you're taking a humility course uh, at the University of Midian, especially if it's because of choices that you made, I want you to know that's okay. You, you, don't, you don't have to sneak into humility class. Because James wrote, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. C. 
see, God doesn't use proud people. He resists them because they want to steal his glory. So if you want to be used by God, and you don't have to be, right? But if you want to be used by God, expect to take this class in humility. Then last, there's a class on patience. Patience. You know, I must have been an impatient kid because I can remember my mom constantly saying, patience is a virtue, son. And timing is important in the actions we take and the words we say. But we're better at impatience, right? In fact, I've wondered if that's not my spiritual gift, (laughs) impatience. But often the problem isn't that God is too slow. It's that we're too fast. What if Joshua had said, let's just walk around Jericho five times and then blast the horn? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.1 that there's a time for everything. And Proverbs 15.23 says, how great is a timely word? See, timing is important. And being patient where God has us is important for us to learn what God wants us to learn. Uh, Our last dog that we had was a little Yorkie. Uh, We named him Scooter. And uh, every once in a while when I was a really good dog owner, I would take him for a walk. And um, maybe you have a dog like this. He was constantly pulling at the leash. Like he was peeling out the whole time when I walk him down the street. I'm like, and I used to wonder, like, what's in your, what's going through your little head right now? You know, um, and I would yank him back and he'd keep pulling. I'd yank him back. Isn't that what you're supposed to do if you're... (laughs) Send me your emails. (laughs) I just think, Scooter, do you you think we're not going to finish the walk? Like, is there... You just got to get to that next smell or, you know, tinkle on that next bush. It's like, he just was in such a hurry. I just think, what are you thinking, man? We do this, and it's like, you know you're going to get to do your walk. You know, Moses was too strong and too educated and too cultured and too gifted and too advantaged so that he was constantly straining at the leash. So God had him sit by a well because Moses wasn't ready when he was 40. He needed to get his degree first in adaptability, in an obedience, humility, and patience. And all of us impatient people We need to remember. We need to remember that God is working even if it doesn't seem like he is. You guys know the song Waymaker? We sing it here sometimes. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. In fact, it's a good time to have the band come up because this chapter ends by letting us know that God is still working. In verse 23, he said, During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And all this is going on. We're we're hearing in retrospect, but all this is going on while God is working on Moses. 
But at the same time, he's working on Pharaoh. He's working on the Egyptians. He's working on the Israelites. And even though he seems silent, even though he seems absent, he says, I see. I hear. I care. And here's a spoiler alert. I love it if you don't know this story. But God is going to deliver the children of Israel. And he's going to use Moses to do it. And of course, all this coursework that he's doing at the University of Midian, it's going to prepare him to be able to do that. And it all began with a failure. So if you feel like you're living on the backside of nowhere right now, metaphorically, and God has forgotten you, and you find yourself enrolled in the University of Midian, then take your seat next to the well for your freshman orientation. And make sure you show up to class and do the work because God has a plan. If you do it, you're going to be joining some great alumni over the centuries. And God is going to do something in this part of your life that he could only do through your mistake. Let's stand and worship together. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.